It is Inside the Arc, everyone. Happy March. It is Alec Bussey, joined as always by Brandon Simberg. Sim, normally I ask you how you're doing, how your weekend was, just what's up kind of stuff. I'm going to ask you a different question to start today. Okay. Is the month of February the most jealous month of any of the other months of the year? Like, of its, like, neighboring months. So, like, if I was asking you, like, is July more jealous of June or August? Like, so... Is there a month that is more jealous of a neighboring month than February is of March? Think about all things. You got March Madness. It's got more days. The weather yeah. gets nice. And it's like April's the other contender, but by then April, the weather's warm. It's the start of baseball season some years, probably not this year, which excites some people. You do have the Masters. Yeah, February, does, the Masters. February doesn't really have much. Like Obviously, I love February because it's the swing of college basketball season, but... I think it's a really good take, and I think I agree with you on that. So February is the most jealous month. Yeah. Okay, good to know. Glad we agree on things. All right, let's uh, dive into it, Illinois, and the last two games. It's been a while since we had a podcast, obviously, because I was out in Arizona for a bachelor party, which I did have a lot of fun on, of course. But uh, then we just kind of got lazy. Both of us got busy with schoolwork. It's that weird time of the year where we've got a bunch of stuff going on. So let's dive into it. Illinois obviously goes one and one in their last two games. They drop one to Ohio State. Here in Champaign, 86-83, kind of a really weird game. I still don't really understand what happened in that game. But then they respond with a win on the road in Ann Arbor. We're able to fight off a Michigan run late with a Trent Frazier. Three with about 45 seconds left that put Illinois up seven. All right, so let's kind of talk about both these games together at the same time. Let's start with the positives, and then we can go to the negatives if you'd like. I want to start with the positives at Ohio State. I think they showed a lot of fight in that game, obviously, and I feel like that's something that Brad Underwood has talked a lot about this year is maybe at times this team being soft or maybe at times this team not showing enough fight in his eyes. Um, and obviously, Brad gets ejected for that game, and that might be some sort of like ploy to get some fight out of his team. But And it worked. They, it it they, worked. They were really good after he got ejected. And that's where I was going, right? And they are able to end up making, I think, a one-point game at one point here in the last two minutes against the Buckeyes. I think that game shows a lot of fight. And then I was really happy to see that they were able to come back from that Ohio State game, a loss that honestly kind of really made your Big Ten championship hopes difficult to see. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But to come back and then come out and punch Michigan in the mouth and probably have one of your better shooting halves since December was, I think, a really big positive. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, in the month of February, we talked about how this was going to be just a huge month for their chances um, in the Big Ten and like how tough it was. And they had a lot of tough games. And I think walking away five and three, like, yeah, you probably wanted six and two. You probably wanted one of these games back. That you lost, but like, I think you take that. And the Big Ten this year has shown that it's it beats you know they beat each other up, and now like we're gonna we have multiple teams with four losses. Maybe everyone has five if Purdue beats Wisconsin tonight, as we're recording this on Tuesday. So I think you walk away five and three, feeling okay with a chance now with two home games left to get a Big Ten title. I think you gotta feel good. But in terms of on the court. My biggest takeaway and something we've both been excited about and we're happy to see finally come to fruition is Coleman Hawkins' emergence because he's playing the five position. And all it took was Kofi foul trouble, um, Omar Payne foul trouble, and a Benjamin Bossman's Verdonk concussion. Because you know, if Ben doesn't get concussed, I bet they still would have gone to him at the five. Like they, they had been doing that all year. So without uh, Verdonk's concussion, do we get to see Coleman at the five? I don't know. And now that we have... 
it's yielded really good results because Coleman just adds another element. This adds an element to this team that we haven't seen before. A five with like legitimate ball skills, can dribble, can pass, is like a semi-threat to shoot. I wouldn't call him a shooter, but he can shoot a little bit. He's he's more mobile on defense. Like he he can switch screens easier. Our ball screen coverage is better when he's in the game. No disrespect to Kobe Coburn, and he sparked that Ohio State comeback. Like he him at the five sparked that comeback, especially because Ohio State was playing small, which was one of our matchup problems all year. He kind of fixed that problem for Illinois a little bit. So now I think one of Illinois' biggest weaknesses, which was guarding fours and playing and playing against smaller teams, which it's still a weakness. Like, they yeah. still can't really guard fours, but at least they have a look when other teams go small now. Yeah, and honestly, I think something that you maybe didn't mention that I think is really interesting with the Coleman aspect and something that we've maybe talked about a few times this year is it feels like Illinois maybe doesn't have very much depth at times, right? And I feel like having Coleman back in this rotation, and not just back in the rotation, but back in the rotation and really, really contributing, kind of makes me feel like Illinois has a lot more depth coming off the bench. Because I feel like for the longest time, it felt like they only had six guys, seven guys that they could trust. Obviously, when Curbelo came back, I think it was closer to six. And if you want to throw Omar into that group, because you kind of know what you're getting, you can kind of trust that. And just knowing what you're getting from a player, you can say that's trust. But you weren't getting like a high ceiling guy, I feel like, with Omar. But now with Coleman and what he's shown Illinois in the last couple of games is that he can be a really high ceiling player for Illinois. I mean, he had, in my opinion, the play of the year against Michigan on Sunday where he fakes the pump fit. He pump fakes on a pass, takes a couple dribbles, maybe gets away with a little bit of a travel as he shuffles his feet, misses a floater, but he's able to get it back and throw down a one-handed put-back dunk on his own shot, which is shades of Roger Powell in the Final Four against Louisville, right? Like, He's seal, and then the setback three, which you mentioned, and his ability to guard. Like his ceiling is just a lot higher than what you had, and I feel like the depth of having Coleman on the team now and really contributing is so much higher than what it was before. And just having another piece that you can play at the three, that you can play at the four, that you can play at the five, is huge for Illinois, especially when you saw the struggles that you had against Ohio State. And there are teams, and we can talk about this a little bit later on Illinois' schedule that I think can present similar matchup issues for the Illini if that happens. And we've seen in the NCAA tournament, it becomes all matchup-based, right? That's just what the NCAA tournament is. So now you're in a situation where maybe you can throw Coleman out there at the five, and maybe there's a weird game where Kofi only ends up playing 20 to 25 minutes because someone just is a bad matchup for him, and they're able to take you out of what you really want to do. And you can maybe rely on Coleman to give you six to 10 points and play 25, 30 minutes and give you, you know, six to eight rebounds. And obviously he needs to be a little bit better not fouling, but having that luxury is so much more important for Illinois than I think it's even being discussed in a larger sense. Yeah, I mean, obviously we talked about it when teams play small, but like, I guess I'm gonna get into refing now. But like, what if Kofi gets two fouls earlier than expected? Like, you can go to Omar Payne, I still, like, Omar has not been great, but he is a little bit bigger, and he's probably someone I trust more to just guard, like, a big, stiff five. But Coleman might be our best backup center. Like, he might literally be be our best backup center. And who's to say there's not a game where Kofi doesn't get two fouls early in March? Especially in the tournament, when those games are officiated a lot differently than the Big Ten generally. Like, I just, the Ohio State game, I am not a blame-the-refs guy. I actually do think Trent Frazier probably got fouled on that last-second layup attempt. And that wasn't great, but like, you just, Kofi cannot get every call. And he still shoots like more free throws, I think, than anybody in the Big Ten. 
I think he's a really hard guy to officiate, like him and Zach Eady. I think you could both call offensive fouls on them sometimes, the way they use their elbows to a degree. And I think you could also call more fouls on them when they shoot. It's really hard to officiate. No one's ever going to get it right. Like, no, just you're right. One side is always going to be displeased. So, like, as a fan base, I ask that we please stop talking about the officials every single game. Illinois Twitter was one of the worst places to be the morning oh after God. that Ohio State game. I mean, it was hard to get on social media or hard to just read things that were being said. I mean, it was difficult. It was legitimately difficult. It's, so, like, even to have a conversation yeah. with people who, you know, aren't in the media space like we are, and their first thing is, Illinois lost the game because of the officials. No, Illinois lost the game because they allowed Ohio State to go on, like, a 22-3 to run midway through the game. That's why Illinois lost the game. Yeah, I agree. It's it, – exactly. It, we cannot blame the refs for everything that goes right or wrong in, like, in yeah. these games. And it's super frustrating. But moving on to another player who I think – it's almost like a segment on this podcast. We, I feel like he has to come up every podcast. Uh – Andre Carballo update, like, you know, he, against Ohio State, again, just not great. Three freight from the field in 20 minutes. Um, he, did have, like, he did have three assists, which is a little bit better to see. He didn't make a three. He's now five for 26 on the year, 19%. Uh, yikes. But, and then I thought against Michigan he was a little bit better. He was five for seven with 12 points and three assists, although he had four turnovers in that game. So, like, where, like, where are we at with Carballo right now? Is he playing the right around amount of minutes? Are they using him correctly? Like, does he need to do more? I just, where are you at with Kerbal right now? You can see he's starting to get back to himself just a little bit. Like you said, the 19 minutes against Ohio State, he responds and has, I think, around 20. I played 20 minutes against Michigan. And they're starting to be a little bit more productive minutes, I feel like, where maybe offensively, I know he had four turnovers against Michigan and only three assists. But he just feels like he was a net positive against Michigan offensively when you factor in the 12 points he had and also shooting 5-7 of seven from the field and making two free throws late in the game. And his defense at, at times, I think, against Michigan was showing shades of what Brad Underwood talks a lot about with his ability to fight over screens and his ability to you know, kind of keep defenders and kind of keep offensive players in front of him. I think we're starting to see that a little bit. But at the same time, I think it's important to make note of the fact that Michigan's one of the worst ball screen defenses, not just in the Big Ten, but in the entire country. So Curbelo should have success against a team like Michigan. That's a team that he's thrived against really all year. I mean, Purdue's a really good example of that too, right? Like, And he was pretty good against Wisconsin in my eyes, at least offensively too, where he's good against teams who are good at, or who are not good at stopping dribble drive and stopping the pick and roll. And Teams are continually going to try and take him away. And he might have success against Penn State and Iowa. Donald Stretcher, two teams obviously who aren't very good defensively. And obviously Iowa's playing pretty good basketball offensively and they're in the AP Top 25. And they're actually ahead of Illinois in the Kempom as we record this on Tuesday, right? Uh, fifth offensive efficiency in the country. Keegan Murray's been balling out. They've been getting good contributions from other people. But you just want to see continued progress from Curbelo. And I think that it may be more important for Carbello to give Illinois what he can defensively than what it is offensively. Because Illinois' backcourt right now is pretty porous when it comes to their defensive coverages. Outside of Trent Frazier. Outside of Trent Frazier, right? Like, Plummer's pretty easy to pick on. Carbello at times can be good, but at other times he can be pretty easy to pick on, right? And Grandison gives you good effort, but at times he's just kind of easy to pick on because he's not the greatest athlete. And same thing with DeMonte Williams, right? Like, DeMonte's shown at times this year against Johnny Davis and Champagne or against 
Jaren Ivey and Champagne too. Like that he has a high ceiling, but it's not always super consistent. So Illinois needs Andre Corbello to be a pretty good on-ball defender. I think as we have now entered the month of March and you've got these final two games in the regular season, you have the Big Ten schedule, Big Ten tournament coming up, and then eventually March Madness. Yeah, Corbello has become more important to me because even though Alfonso Plummer has just had a ridiculous the last week especially just a ridiculous shooting stretch here. Eight for ten against Ohio State from deep, twenty six points. Six for nine from deep against Michigan, twenty six points. Like, despite him being this just crazy shooter lately, it almost feels like his defense has gotten like just worse. Yeah. And like he just concedes so many points on that end where it's like, when he has an off night, if he has an off night in the tournament or his shots aren't falling, he's gonna be unplayable. And well, I think that's what you saw in the final six and a half minutes against Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Devontae Jones just kind of picked him apart for so much of the game, and Jones ends up finishing with about 25 points. And I think he got like four of those late after Trent switched over to him. But, you know, Plummer's going to shoot you into a game, and he could win you an NCAA tournament game. And I don't think he's going to shoot you out of a game because I think, I think he's, he's going to make if, – if, if he's not well, – and if he hasn't made it – like. You look at his game log, it's like four points, eight points, yeah. 26 points. Yeah, he just won't play if, if he's he has not making four, eight shots. Point games, he, yeah, and that's when they're going to need Curbelo to... Be Andre Curbelo, or be close or just, to what Andre just, Curbelo just can be. Just play solid enough defense and don't overdo it because this team does have the weapons still. They have they have Kofi Coburn. They have Trent Frazier. You know, they like Jacob Grandison has been shooting it a little bit better lately. Um, they don't need this crazy... Curbelo, like, eight assist, eight turnover game. They seem to play within the flow, play within the system, take what's his. And he's done that the last two games for the most part. But they're going to need him because of his defense over Plumbers at some point. So it's good to see him just kind of not overdo it lately is how I would phrase it. Yeah, let's talk about one more positive before we kind of talk about some of these negatives a little bit. Um, I think Ona maybe found their closer and Trent Frazier in the last three games. Obviously, Trent made some mistake against Ohio State, and he admitted it, that he probably should have put that ball on the rim. On Illinois' last full possession where he passed it out of bounds, either gets fouled, gives it a chance to bounce in, or obviously there's an opportunity that gets blocked too. But two big threes, one against Michigan State at the top of the key, another one against Michigan in an ISO situation against Caleb Houston. It sounds like Illinois might have found their closer He's obviously playing with a lot of confidence. He has all year. His teammates have a lot of confidence in him. And he's just really dynamic with the ball in his hands right now. He's got an ability to create a shot. He's got an ability to get to the rim. And he's someone you trust, too, to make the right pass if the shot's not there. Yeah, no, he's been good down the stretch, aside from Ohio State. The Michigan-Michigan State games, like, they were winning when he took those shots. But, like, you know, someone saw to make him and close him out. And that's what he did. So he's definitely been a little bit better. Or he's been he's been better down the stretch. And, yeah, he's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands if, you know, you don't want to, like, go feed Kofi or if the Kofi look isn't there, which is probably going to happen a lot. Teams teams don't want to let Kofi beat them down the stretch. So Yeah, and I just think it's important, too, to have an understanding of the fact that having a closer is really important at this time of the year. And I know Illinois didn't get an opportunity to take advantage of that all the time in previous seasons with Iowa because of COVID and then getting knocked out early in the NCAA tournament against Loyola. But having that and having someone that you can trust to go make you a shot or just make the right play is really key. And I think they have that right now in Trent Frazier. All right, let's spin the bottle the other way, flip the coin over the other way. I don't think there's too many negatives to talk about from the Michigan game other than the fact that I don't think their D 
defense was great, but I also think that Michigan was making just a ton of shots, and that was obviously a high-scoring game that Illinois won 93-85. But let's talk a little bit about the matchup issues that Ohio State continues to expose for the Illini. Uh, one, obviously, he plays small. E.J. Liddell continues to kill Illinois. He finishes with, I think, 21 points, I think is what it was. Uh, pretty efficient night shooting the ball after starting an 0 of 3 from the field. Uh, he finished a 7, 7 of 15. But also Kyle Young has one of his better games of the year with 18 points, 6 of 7 from the field, made two triples. But Malachi Branham as well just probably cemented his case as Big Ten Freshman of the Year with that win over Illinois with his yeah. 31 points, 10 of 14 from the three or 10 of 14 from the field. Big guards, athletic fours that can play different positions. That is continuing to cause Illinois issues. And I think this is where the value of having Coleman Hawkins play good minutes is starting. It could potentially show up for Illinois in the last couple weeks. Yeah, no, Illinois can't guard fours. Uh, there's this like pretty cool stat on Bartorvik.com where it's like it gives you like the offensive rating of the player by height against your team in like a bar graph. And offensive rating isn't like equivalent to points per game, but it's usually a good indicator of like how well someone's playing against you. And like just the six six to six eight range, the graph is like way up for Illinois. And then like the six foot to six four range, the trend Fra- the people trying Fraser guards is way down. So like they yeah, six eight six six to six eight guys have been killing Illinois all year. And like obviously Coleman Coleman had to play the five that game, so he wasn't on EJ as much, but like EJ still had a tough turnaround against him at the end and like I'm not faulting anybody for not stopping EJ Liddell. Like, yeah, you can't. Yeah, he's he's been incredibly good and dominant this year. Um, but yeah, just those those fours continue to be a problem for Illinois. And something when you look at the the brackets, you look at the matchups. Like obviously, like Al- Auburn and Duke would probably be way down the line. But you don't want to run to like Apollo Boncaro or like a Jabari Smith or any type of four that has some off the bounce game because that's an issue. And yeah. Malachi Branham got the best of Trent Frazier. He did a really good job. Of, he got him in foul trouble early, like, using his body. Um, he, like, Branham had some pretty veteran tricks for a freshman to get Trent in foul trouble, but I didn't, I didn't think that was a reflection of Trent's defense. I think Branham hit tough shots. Um, but, so I don't, I don't really, I, I still trust, if a team has a good guard or a good, like, 6'4"-ish or below guy, I still trust Trent to go. Yeah. I just thought Branham got the best on that game, and, that's basketball, as we always say. Good offense beats good defense. Yeah, there's times when good defense is going to be good offense too, but there's times that shots just are going to go in, and that's just the reality of the sport. And for better or for worse, that's kind of one of the reasons why we love college basketball and love the sport of basketball in general, right? Uh, but I don't know how you necessarily fix that problem because you're going to have to play Kofi so many minutes against a team that's smaller. And I think we saw that against Ohio State, right? Because he is such an intimidating force that even smaller teams can struggle with him at times. And I think it's important to note that against Ohio State, yeah, EJ, or yeah, Kofi Coburn had one of his worst games in an Illinois uniform and probably his worst game this season uh, where he plays you know, just 24 minutes, goes 5 of 15 from the field, and one of those is a missed mid-range jumper, and he finishes with just 12 points and three rebounds. A lot of times I think he's going to make more than 5 of 15 from the field in that situation. And maybe if you just get, you know, 7 of 15 or you get 8 of 15, and obviously 9 of 15 is pretty decent average at best, I guess I would say. You'll take that, and I feel like you can kind of get that from him or believe that you can get that from him. And also, I think Ohio State's kind of a special example with the fact that the Buckeyes 
have such a f- quality for in E.J. Liddell, whose field defensively is just yeah. at another level of when to come help, when to jump for blocks. And his arms are so long that he's so good at being able to time blocks. Like All of those things combined, wrapped up into one, are why E.J. Liddell is, is why E.J. Liddell is one of the one, two, three best defenders in the Big Ten, and why he's going to see his name on the all-defensive team. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, Despite Ohio State having an undersized five, they had an elite defensive four. So, like, that makes up for it, especially because teams are going to be sending two guys at Kofi. If your second guy is EJ Liddell, that's a problematic guy. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably the last negative I want to touch on, at least. But, like, and we had this conversation earlier in the year, and then the Northwestern game happened. We're like, ah, he needs to play. Like, I just, especially with Coleman Hawkins' emergence, I just don't know what I'm getting from DeMonte. Like, DeMonte Williams has not been very good. No, you're right. And, like, he... Well, I think that's why we saw his minutes slash against Michigan, right? Like, he only played, what was it, 17 minutes. Like, that's not yeah. very many for a starter. But it's easy to take his minutes away when you're getting something positive from Coleman. From Coleman or you're getting something positive from R.J. Melendez, like we saw for the... Yeah, for the it's, longest it's a, time. it's a bummer. Uh, RJ got an appendicitis. Is yeah. that the official? Like, and his his timeline is uncertain right now. Yeah, like, I, we don't know if he's going to come back or if when. Because I thought he was playing well, doing some things, and like, well, it continues the season of season from hell narrative that you've kind of started or that we've kind of started, right? Like something good goes, something good happens with RJ Melendez. He starts to emerge. You start to see these flashes. It's like, wow, this kid could be really good or really important for Illinois, and then it's gone. Yeah. So. But and then I, you don't know what you're going to get back either. And I, now his role is going to be smaller when he gets back because of what Coleman's done. Yeah, I, but I would keep cutting Demonte's minutes for Col- for for Coleman. Like I know Coleman's a little assuming more up Coleman and down. produces. I know he's a little more up and down, but it just sometimes feels like we're four on five with on offense yeah. with Demonte lately. And I don't think like his winning hustle plays have been like I know he's like good for like one throw the ball off your legs going out of bounds and like he does play like good positional defense, but like. I still don't want him guarding fours. I know he can. I thought he kind of struggled the last two games guarding up. Like teams like will post him up, and it's not great. I just and if he's not going to be a fifty percent three point shooter like he was last year, shooting it with as much confidence as he was last year, because he's not. No. It, I just it's not, it's not like the end of the world. Like we're talking about Illinois' like fifth, sixth guy here, so it's not like this is a this is not like a the world is ending problem. But Demonte has not been great. And I'd like to see Coleman continue to cut into his minutes. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I think that that's a fair. Th- assessment to make as long as Coleman continues to produce and I think a key thing to mention is that Coleman seems to be responding to adversity a lot better than he was early in the year I mean he had a situation against Michigan where he thought he got fouled on a shot attempt fell to the ground was ended up getting back on defense late and Musa Diabate gets a tough bucket over him and then Illinois is forced to call a timeout because I think Michigan has a line I lead down to like five or seven, and Brad's kind of laying into Coleman, and he's not really in the huddle. He's just kind of walking away from Brad. And Tim Anderson is actually the coach who goes over and talks to Coleman during the timeout and eventually gets him to kind of settle down and lock back in. Coleman comes back in later in the second half and dives on a loose ball pretty quickly after that and then makes another good energy play. And I think maybe this is the best way to describe Coleman Hawkins' resurgence. When he plays hard, when he plays with energy, things just seem to find him. The ball just seems to find him, whether that's an offensive rebound late, because he was the one who made the offensive rebound that led to Trent's three over Caleb Houston, or 
diving on the floor for a loose ball. Like those things happen when Coleman is playing hard, and he's gotten back to that. And I think that's maybe been the biggest transition for Coleman down the stretch here. All right, Illinois has got two games left in the regular season. They play against Penn State on Thursday night, obviously a game that Illinois should handle pretty well considering Penn State just lost at home on their senior night against now to win Nebraska by about 30 points. So that's obviously a game that you have to win. But then Iowa comes into town on Sunday, the final game of the regular season. I kind of like this whole uh, Iowa-Illinois and the regular season kind of thing that they've done the last two, two out of three years. kind of like it. It's kind of like a rivalry week. Yeah, uh, I yeah. I, I, I'm a fan of this. Big time basketball should do this. Uh, you want to you want us to play Iowa at the end of? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. let's do a rivalry week in college basketball to end the regular season. <sighs> Why is it gonna be like? I don't think Iowa's gonna be very good next year. No, I'm just like throwing the idea out there, right? Like, let's well, have like, a rivalry. Duke, Duke plays UNC. Like. Yeah, Duke plays UNC at the end of this year. It'd be cool if not to upset one of the fan bases here, but like if Michigan State played Michigan or Ohio State played Michigan in the final week, I think Ohio State and Michigan play this week, actually. I could be wrong there. But match up some rivalries in the last week. Let's get a rivalry week like we have in college football. Michigan does have Michigan State and Ohio State. Well, there we go. Rivalry week for the Wolverines. Uh, I think that's fun. I, I think it's... Cool. Indiana Purdue play. Maybe this is already no, in, a thing. Yeah, Indiana Purdue do play. Maybe this is already yeah, a thing, Indiana. and I'm just not aware of it. It's like an unofficial thing, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Maybe. Although, who, who, like, dude, we're gonna turn ESPN tonight, and they're gonna be like rivalry week, and we're like, oh shit. No, no, it's not rivalry <laughs> week. It's uh, it's champion. That's next week. No, it was last week was the road to championship week or something. This week might be rivalry week. Probably. Not I don't know. Whatever it is, it's probably some sort of week that ESPN has. Uh. Let's talk about the Iowa game briefly. This is obviously a game that Illinois won earlier in the season at Iowa City. All the way back in early December, Illinois escaped Iowa City with an 87-83 win. They were actually able to do a pretty good job holding Keegan Murray in this game to a pretty respectable number until late where Murray ended up going off. I think he had seven or eight points in a pretty short stretch. Uh, But this is a game that Illinois should win again. Uh, I don't really think feel overly worried about it. I know Iowa has been playing really, really well down the stretch. Their offense is up to number five in the country and the efficiency metrics. And obviously, anytime you have a National Player of the Year candidate or all Big Ten player, Keegan Murray, you have a little bit of something to be worried about. But this is a team that only is going to have to beat on Sunday, I think, just to feel good about yourself going into postseason. Yeah, like, you know, there's always been this narrative that Brad's teams, like, get better by March. And, like, I think they usually do. I also think most teams usually get yeah. better by Mike. I don't think it's like some crazy like only is a Brad Underwood thing. And so I think people were a little concerned they went five and three in February, but I think it was just a tough stretch. Like I do think they're still figuring some things out. So yeah, but like now, now I think is the time when you want to go. And to me, this is a way different Iowa team than the Iowa team we saw in December. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way different Iowa team. They're the hottest team in the Big Ten right now with four straight wins, including wins at Ohio State, home for Michigan State. And then, like, I guess they smoked Northwestern, if you're into that. But they, I'd say the one hey, thing there's is— there's certain Illinois media members out there who think Northwestern's good. <laughs> well, not really an Illinois media member, but— <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, I will say the one thing about Iowa that's different, the biggest thing is the emergence of Keegan's brother, Chris Murray. He has totally come into his own lately. Like, he looks—he's he, basically Keegan. He's Keegan's body in a lefty, like, a little bit better shooter, weight, just worst athlete, basketball player. But he's good. He has a different element of like a four man that's athletic and can shoot and can do some things. You can play him together. He's gotten a lot better. And man, I really don't think Keegan Murray. I know he's in the mix for player of the year, like big time player of the year. He's not getting his respect. Like just, I'm going through his last six games. 
30 points against Maryland, 37 against Nebraska, 23 on Michigan, 24 on Ohio State, 28 against Michigan State, 15 on Nebraska, 26 against Northwestern. He's just been killing it. And yes, Illinois held him, but he missed the previous game before the Illinois game with an ankle injury. So I don't think he was 100%. So he's been better. They've won four straight. If Wisconsin loses to Purdue, they'll be the hottest team in the Big Ten um, going into that game. Like, I think Illinois is going to win, but I think it's just people saying, well, we beat them there, we should beat them here. Like, don't expect that because this is going to be a good game. Yeah, I think it'll be close. And I think this is kind of what big-time basketball kind of comes down to. And honestly, this game kind of reminds me a little bit of the season finale in 2020 right before COVID stopped everything, where Iowa was the team for much of that season that was ranked in the top 25, that had higher expectations coming into the year. And then Illinois kind of came on late in the second half. They ended up getting into the top 25 late, just kind of like how Iowa has done this year. Both games are in Champaign. Kind of a pretty similar kind of storyline, maybe just flipped a little bit oh, between and this these year, two teams. I, I think by then the Big Ten titles already decided, like, you know. Yeah, I think Wisconsin had already clinched it. And, Mar- like, Maryland won earlier that day. Like, they clinched their spot. Yeah. And, like, so the winner think- got a two, like, the winner got the double bye in the Big Ten tournament that never happened. Right. So it was for that. Illinois could legit be playing for their first Big Ten title, their first legitimate able to hang a banner. Big Ten title, regular season title since 2005. Yeah, 2005. So, like, yeah, I'll I'll be curious to see how they handle with the pressure because just in terms of, like, one game, what it means pressure. It's up there. They haven't seen that since Loyola. This team this year hasn't seen that just in terms of one game, what it means, win, banner. Like, it's it could be win, banner, and this team hasn't seen that. Yeah. And I was just kind of, like... Iowa's been playing free to me lately. Like, they're not in the Big Ten. They're playing with house money lately. Yeah, they're they're not in the Big Ten title race. They're playing, like, they're in the tournament, but they can kind of improve their seed. So there really hasn't been pressure on them. I just feel like that's how they've been playing. So I think they'd love to play the spoiler on Sunday. So I I expect a good game. I think Illinois is going to win by, like, five-ish points. But that means it's going to be a good game. Yeah, and Iowa does have a pretty, maybe not tough, or tough, I feel like it's okay to say tough week. Uh, They go on the road at Michigan. On Thursday, and then they come to Illinois on Sunday. That's a Michigan team that I imagine is going to be pretty hungry because they're going to need a quad one win to boost their resume because I don't really know if they're in the tournament or not at this point. They're right there on the bubble. It's going to be tough to see if they're in or not, but then they come back and come to Illinois on Sunday. So that's a tough week. And if you're able to get a win over Iowa before going into the Big Ten tournament and potentially, keyword there, potentially, you'd need a chip or two to fall your way, uh, you'd be able to hang a Big Ten banner and be able to have your celebration on the State Farm Center court. All right, let's uh, quickly get a Pac-12 update. We got a big one tonight between Arizona and USC. I don't really think we should drop a prediction for it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Arizona's going to win. They're going to bounce back from their loss against Colorado. Yeah, USC's been hot. Um, They've won four – sorry, they've won six straight. Haas team in the Pac-12. So it's a big game for Pac-12 like championship hopes because – they trail USC trails Arizona by two games, so they win tonight. It's become a race. Both teams have three more games, but if Arizona does win and they are a four-point favorite, congrats, Alec and Kevin Sweeney. You guys were right earlier in the year. I said I thought UCLA was going to win the Pac-12, and it looks like it's going to be Arizona. Like except for the Colorado. Colorado has been the really only slip up this year. They've been a really good team. I know you'll get into them later. Um, I want to update the people on UCLA, who. Like, again, they've kind of fallen off a bit. They now have five losses. I think they got swept by Oregon. But 
I would not totally discount them going into Mike. I think people are going to discount them again. And I will say that Johnny Juzang's missed the last five, six games with an, what I believe is an ankle injury. But I think he'll be good to go for March. So people forget like what he can do. Jaime Jaquez has been kind of banged up as well. He's been playing through it. He might not be 100%, but like he'll have less of a load when they get to March if Juzang's back. They miss Jalen Clark, who's like their DeMonte uh, for a few games. Like This team hasn't been healthy yet. Like They're still a team I think might become undervalued by the time we get to March because everyone wrote them off, and like I don't think anybody knew Johnny Juzang was out. I, I really don't think people knew. You know, No one's watching. So keep an eye on UCLA, but I think Arizona does take care of USC tonight and wins the Pac-12 outright. And uh, my last thing, shout out to a friend of the program, uh, my former high school teammate, Drew Peterson, hit the game-winning shot at Oregon this weekend, Pac-12 Player of the Week. So shout out to Drew. And uh, yeah, that is my Pac-12 update. All right. Uh, well, that's unfortunate. What? I just got a tweet notification that the players didn't accept the deal from the owners. So For baseball? Yeah. That makes me sad. Jeez. That there's not baseball. All right, um, let's get to buzzer beater. Now my energy is just yeah dejected. Um, sorry, listeners. Alex, you have the you have the take. You believe more. I don't really know how much I believe in it. But uh, like, I kind of forgot that we were doing this at the end of the show. I don't really know how I forgot. It's one of my favorite things that we do on the episode, on the pod. Uh, America's two best teams are both west of the Mississippi <laughs> River. Sim, <laughs> trivia question. Uh, is the state of Arkansas east or west of the Mississippi River? Dude, I don't know. I like. Well, so I, answer Alec, the question. Just Alec, answer the question. I think it's west. No, it's east. Damn it. Um, Alex said this to me before the wait, show. Wait, no, wait. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so don't come at me for geography when I don't know where the hell Arkansas and Kentucky are. Because Alex said to me before the show, he was like, they play west, the two best teams play west of the Mississippi. I was like, oh, Gonzaga and Kentucky. Yes, Arkansas is west of the Mississippi River. Kentucky's so you got east. that one correct. Yes, Kentucky is east. My bad, America. Or listeners. Okay, back to my buzzer beater take. Uh, America's two best teams are both west of the Mississippi River, and that is Gonzaga, and that is Arizona. And I realize that both of those teams are coming off of losses that are probably not something that they're overly proud of. Um, Gonzaga losing to St. Mary's, who is a top 25 team. Very good team. Um, and then obviously Gonzaga or Arizona losing at Colorado, like we mentioned a little bit earlier. I just believe in these two teams. I still don't think there's a, you know, elite team in college basketball. If I had to pick one team to be the elite team in college basketball, I would pick Gonzaga. But I think Arizona is right up there in that same conversation. And I know you don't necessarily believe that they have a whole bunch of great wins this season. And they really don't. Uh, obviously, they have that loss at Tennessee, but the win over Illinois has only gotten better, I would say, since they've done that. They beat US, UCLA. They beat USC. They've gotten out of their opportunity to beat USC. But another thing that I really like about this Arizona team is that they just absolutely pound the teams at the bottom of their conference. And I yeah. think that you do deserve credit for handling your business and just killing the teams that are at the bottom of a league that just isn't very good. So I think that those are two of the best teams in America and do I know if I'm putting Arizona in my Final Four? I don't know yet. Um, I do feel confident that I'm putting Gonzaga there, uh, but I don't think that I'm 100 well, percent there yet. What with if what if Gonzaga? Arizona. What if like Gonzaga is the one in the West and Arizona's the two? I don't think that would happen. No, I think Arizona's gonna be a one seed. Okay. Um, I think Arizona's gonna be a one seed because they're gonna beat USC tonight and they're gonna run rough shot through the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. Um, 
I'll be curious to see what Arizona does in the tournament because, like, and I know this is the Gonzaga argument for people, but at least Gonzaga played a tough non-con. Arizona's, to me, like, not to crap on the Pac-12, but they have, like, I don't think the Pac-12 is very good, and I don't think they've handled adversity well, but they're whatever in three, and they have NBA players. Like, I'm not going to – like, I can see them making the Final Four, too. I just don't know if I'll ever get there. But, no, that's a – like, and I don't – after this crazy weekend, we had the top six teams lose. I don't know who, like, really the two best teams are anymore. I don't really know who I trust the most come March. I don't really know who I think is going to win the title. So that kind of opens the door a little bit for a sleeperish team – and I'm not saying they're going to win the title. And they're becoming a little bit more mainstream, but uh, let's talk about Arkansas. They're the hottest team in the country right now. After this past weekend, Arkansas is the hottest team in the country right now. They've won 13 of 14 with wins at LSU, a home against Auburn, home against Tennessee, and home against Kentucky. The only loss was at Alabama by one. So, like, they're on a really good stretch. And Eric Musselman is a coach I trust. He's had multiple good runs in March. They made the Elite Eight last year. They're a really good defensive team anchored by a really good center in Jalen Williams, who's like, is to me like an ideal college basketball center defensively. Like he can protect the rim a little bit. He can move around. Uh, he's been awesome. JD Note's taken a, a strides as a scorer. He's the league guy who will get you a bucket. And we'll see what they do this week. They're home for LSU and at Tennessee. But they're a team that I think they're starting to get talked about more. I think they're around a similar seed line as Illinois. But they're really coming on at the right time, and I don't like—I don't have a declarative statement of how far I think they will go or can go. But there's a really good team that's probably the hottest team in the country right now, and when it comes time to fill out my bracket, I'm probably gonna be higher on them than most. Yeah, I like that take. Actually, I was kind of thinking about something along those lines as well with the Razorbacks. Wu Pig, uh, Wu Pig Sui, as they say down there. Uh, all right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Inside the Arc. Thank you for listening, everyone. We have a great guest coming on in about a week from today. We're recording this on Tuesday, so try and hold your excitement before a great episode next week. We're going to talk brackets with one of the best bracketologists in the business, one of the biggest names. So thank you for listening. Stay tuned for that, and uh, take care of everyone, and uh, enjoy the last week of the regular season, everyone.